in Luke 24, in Luke 24, it's uh, the disciples on the road to Emmaus. And this is how I feel that there are some in the room this morning. There were the two disciples uh, on the road to Emmaus. And I'm not going to read all of it. And, uh, but they're walking. And Jesus comes up with, beside them and starts talking to them. And asks them why they look so downcast. And they go, he must be a stranger because surely he's heard that Jesus, whom we love, that we, we, we were following, he's been crucified. And they, they buried him. And Jesus talks to them, and it says in the scripture that he, he began from the beginning to expound the scriptures of who he was. And they get to Emmaus, and, and Jesus is, te- is acting like he's going to leave. Don't you love, throughout the scriptures, we see Jesus uh, given the inclination that he's going to go, or he's going to, you know, the disciples, they were in the boat struggling, and it's just Jesus came as though he was going to walk by. They, like, they cried out to him, and here he, was, he said, I've got to go. And they said, no, you need to stay with us. It's not safe for you to go back. You need to stay with us here. And it says that their eyes were open, and Jesus was gone. And these two disciples who told Jesus, it's not safe to go back down that road you just came up. They said, did not our hearts burn within us when he opened the word and revealed himself to us? I tell you, if I could be transported to any place in the scripture, that's where I'd want to go. You go, what about the miracles, the dead being raised and all that? No, I would want to go to the place where Jesus himself taught about himself from the scriptures. I'm telling you, with that revelation, those two men defied the very thing they told him not to do. They said, it's not safe to go down that road. But when they realized who Jesus was and that he was alive and he was there with them, it said they went back down the road to tell the other disciples, he's alive. Come on, somebody. He's alive. He's alive today. And if we'll open our hearts up to receive him as they did on that day, I don't care what you face today, whether it be physical, emotional, financial, I don't care what it is. If you allow him, the king of glory, to come in, no matter what that thing was that felt like it was overwhelming to you, that there was no way to press past it, there's no way I'm going to get through this one. If you see him for who he is, you'll deny the world and its right or its control over you anymore. You'll deny the limitations that man or others have put on you has put on you you'll defy it all not because you got emotionally stirred but because you met a man that changed your everything the very core of who you are that's what we must have I believe that's what I've been praying for. That's what I've been praying for for this place is that God, that there would be such a stirring on the inside of us as they either get in or get out. And that's not easy. And it's not like you got to be good enough to be here. It's not it. You just have to be hungry. And I'll tell you, if you're not hungry, you won't be comfortable. If you're not, com- if you're not hungry, you will not be comfortable.
Because this is what it looks like in worship when people are going after it. And it's just the beginning. It's just, this is what it looks like when people go, you know what, I'll be like David and I'll forget everyone who's around me and I'll just foolishly display myself for Jesus, not to be seen by anyone but him. He's the only one found worthy. As we were singing, we were singing a new song. God took me uh, over into Psalms and I was reading where it says, sing a new song unto the Lord. Then he took me to Revelation where it says, they sang a new song to the Lord. You know why? Because when he reveals himself and his beauty to you, you don't have words. You don't, there's not a song pretty enough to wrap it around him. So you just have to sing a new song. Sometimes you just have to sing in tongues because you don't even have a brain that can wrap around who he is. understand this isn't a place that he wants us to visit <laughs> he's not after a visitation he's designed us to be a habitation that every day in here out of here but there's something that happens when we all come together Because you bring your habitation, and I bring my habitation, and Josh brings his, and Tim brings his, and we bring our habitations together, and the manifest presence of God shows up in a way that we can corporately pray for those who are sick and those who are hurting, and we can see deliverance right there on the spot. Amen. So I feel that there are those that just like those two on the, on the road to Emmaus, they heard good words. I mean, he was sharing the scripture, right? Yes, right. Luke 24, you can look it up. He was sharing the scriptures of himself, and they were like, man, this is good stuff. But it wasn't until he revealed himself to them, their eyes were open. They go, man, that just wasn't just a good word. That was the word. It was the word. And he walked with us, and they forsook safety. Yeah, I won't ever forget Papa John. Papa John Kellogg, he's with Jesus now. But his words resonate in my mind because he said for the, for the average believer, their, their mission in life is to get safely and comfortably to death. Safely and comfortably to death. I don't want to be inconvenienced. I don't want to be... Uh, to go out of my way to do something but I'm telling you when you meet this man and he reveals himself to you you're willing to do what in your reason and in your natural mind you thought you couldn't do he'll take you over into the impossible in your own mind and sometimes that's just you breaking free from the lies you've believed in it's not for you to go raise the dead. It's not for you to go heal the sick at this point. Is that your commission? Absolutely. But it's for you to get free from the jail and the bondage you've put yourself in through the lies you believe. Because when you come out, Jesus told Peter this. He said, when you repent, he said, you're going to bring many with you. You're going to strengthen the brethren. He's no respecter of persons. Hebrews 13, 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
going to do this in the end, but I'm going to do it now. I'm going to give you some questions to ponder. Stephen and I were talking the other day. These actually originated with him. That's who I'm giving the credit for. If they didn't, you have to take it up with Stephen later. But these two things. One is this. Just close your eyes with me. Mel's playing that beautifully on the keys. We're not going to tarry long, so you don't have to worry about going to sleep. Just close your eyes. And I want to ask you this question. When is the time or season that you felt closest to God? When is the time or the season in your walk with the Lord that you felt closest to God? As you ponder that, I want to let you know, I want to free you up and let you know it can be now. Okay? So don't put yourself in bondage and say, well, I have to find a time in the past. It can be now. When is the time that you saw yourself the most uh, pursuant of the living God in relationship with Him? And then to add to that, what I want to ask is, what were you doing in pursuit of that relationship? Was it something different than you're doing now? What were you doing? the time or season that you felt closest to God and what were you doing to facilitate that what had happened was it when you first got born again and you jumped into his word to know him was it when you were filled with the Holy Ghost and you were passionate about the Lord and you just ran after it was it this morning when you got up and spent time with him when was it and what were you doing to facilitate to create the atmosphere for that to happen Holy Spirit I ask you right now awaken our minds God for those who are uh, struggling right now to go I don't don't know I don't know God I pray awaken our minds Lord I pray for uh, (coughs) open visions (laughs) right now God gets you excited when people says, hey, let's do this, or are they, they talk about this. What stirs your water? What gets you excited? What are you passionate about?
to come up here and tell me what you, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Hallelujah. That's not, I'm not asking for you to share it right now. I just want you to think about it. I want you to think about what, when is that time that I was closest to the Lord and what was I doing to facilitate that? And also, what am I passionate about? The reason I ask that because, uh, Psalms 37, verse 4 says this, Delight yourself also in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him, and He shall bring it to pass. When I ask you, what are you passionate about? I believe God places those passions on the inside of us and says, I'll partner with you if you'll pursue me. And as we delight ourselves in the Lord, and we trust in him. He said, who will bring it to pass? He. He shall bring it to pass. Not us. He'll bring it to pass. Amen. All right. Thanks, Mel. I had the opportunity this week to meet with someone, and we were talking, and they asked me this question. And... Uh, Thanks, guys. You're amazing. They asked me this question about the gospel. They said, how can we present the gospel in a way that everybody can get it? And uh, I, I told them this. I said, well, first, I think we have to understand what the gospel is. Second, I don't think there's a formula. I don't think there's just this one little quote or this one passage of Scripture that you can give that says, here's the gospel and everybody can receive it, because I don't see that in the life of Jesus. But what I do see in the life of Jesus is this. It says that he said, the kingdom is with me, right? The kingdom is with me. And what did Jesus do? He went about teaching, preaching, and healing the sick. He said he went into all the cities, and he was teaching, preaching, and healing the sick. So what is the gospel? The gospel is teaching, preaching, and healing the sick. Amen. So today, we've seen the gospel in this place. We've seen the gospel in this place, and I believe that's what he desires. I do not believe that you can take one passage, or because Jesus can't be contained in that one passage. You can take one, for instance, or some clever uh, plan that you've devised, and it works for everyone, because what you do in that is you take the person of the Holy Spirit out of the equation. But when we go in the power and in the presence of the Lord, in the love of God, and we go and we present Jesus, not a plan, not a passage, but we present Jesus, that the God who's alive on the inside of us speaks louder than anything we can recite to them. Because what the world is looking for... I, I, I'm going to go out on a limb. I don't even think what they're looking for is an answer because there'll always be another question. What they're looking for is a person who answers all their questions. So if all we're good at is answering questions and not presenting Jesus to them, then there'll always be other questions. But when they see Jesus, he'll answer the questions. (laughs) 
you know, Raphael preached Christmas Day, and, and what he preached was that we'll move, we'll advance from our knees, we'll move forward on our knees, speaking of through prayer and intimacy with the Lord. And what God had been speaking to me before Raphael came, and if you're not sure who Raphael is, he's our pastor from the Dominican Republic. Uh, he pastors the River uh, Missionary Center in Tamboril, Dominican Republic. He was with us uh, the 18th through the 31st of December. And uh, just amazing. He was a fire starter is what he was. He came and he just started a lot of fires and it was a good thing. <clears throat> he was here and he talked about we'll move forward, we'll advance on our knees. And I said that I felt like what the Lord was saying to us is that it's from the secret place, that place of intimacy, <clears throat> that we're going we're gonna to move into all that God has for us. And uh, uh, one of my new... Life's verses or favorite verses is Matthew 6, 6. It says, but you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you've shut your door, pray to your Father who's in the secret place, and your Father who sees in the secret, in secret, will reward you openly. The Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So the power there is being in the secret place. And what the Lord has been really speaking to me and to about our church especially, is that we get back to the secret place. And I was, I was reading, and he said, I want you to go back to 2 Kings, and that's a book we all read in a lot, I know. Amen. But he said, I want you to go back to, to 2 Kings. <clears throat> and uh, I began to read through 2 Kings, and he began to speak some things to me. And then I got to 2 Kings chapter 4. And he began to speak to me about this secret place. And I want to share just a little uh, from that this morning. Because I believe that God's been with us and is meeting with us and continues to be with us even while I'm talking this morning, his manifest presence. I believe there were people in this room this morning that were supernaturally healed. I believe in this room this morning, God highlighted people who said, you felt like you're choking and you couldn't get out and I'm setting you free today. I believe that's happening in the room today. Amen. But the only way it'll be sustained is in the secret place with him. I see people go to meetings and get healed, supernaturally healed in a meeting, and they go home, and they're good the first day. The second day, it comes knocking. Whatever the sickness was, it comes knocking, and they go, well, I guess it didn't work. And they sign for it, just like a package. And guess what? All the symptoms and all the pain and all that come back. But as we receive from him, and we keep that and honor that in the secret place. It's not a work that we do to stay healed. That's not it. It's a mind that's renewed through intimacy. It's getting to know the God who healed us, not just that I got healed. In 2 Kings chapter 4, just uh, how many verses I have? Just seven verses. Familiar passage of scripture. A certain woman of, of the wise of the sons of the prophet cried out to Elisha saying, okay, let me give you a little background first. 
So this is Elisha. Because I asked the Lord when he said, I want you to go to 2 Kings. I'm like, why 2 Kings, not 1 Kings? And he said, 2 Kings is where we see the beginning of the ministry of Elisha, the prophet Elisha with an S. He, he, uh, he followed Elijah. Are you with me? We see the end of first, second, uh, end of first Kings, the beginning of first Kings, Elijah uh, is leaving and Elisha's with him and Elijah says, wait here. And Elisha says, no, wherever you go, I'm going. And he said, what do you want from me? Elijah said, I want a double portion of the anointing that's on your life. So Elisha was willing to forsake all to follow a man because he saw that there was an anointing of God on his life that he couldn't live without. That's amazing. You know what's, what's gooder than that? You know what's better than that? And some people went, no, he didn't. You know what's better than that? It's we have the anointing in us. We don't have to wait for the anointing upon us. We're under the new covenant. Jesus said, it's imperative that I leave because when I leave, Holy Spirit's going to come live in you. You're going to be the dwelling place of the living God. He lives and resides in us. Amen. But in, uh, in 2 Kings uh, here, Elisha, Elisha is watching, and they cross the river, and Elijah is taken up in a whirlwind and a chariot. You know, I was sharing with our small group Wednesday night. I think it's amazing how we read over stuff and go, oh, cool. Right? I mean, let's think about it. Just dream with me for a minute. Use your imagination for a good thing. I believe God wants us to redeem our imagination. It's not a bad thing. It's, a, it's good. He gave it to us. And when we use it for him, we, do, we break the mold when we dream with God. So let's say uh, Nathan and I, stand up, Nathan. Let me give an object lesson. This good-looking fella here. We're walking. Nathan and I are walking, and we're talking. I told Nathan, I want the anointing that's on your life, Nathan. And he said, if you see me when I go, you can have it. And we're walking and we're talking. All of a sudden, a chariot of fire comes down and it separates me from Nathan. And I watch Nathan go up in the air in a chariot of fire. How many of you know that'll probably stir me up on the inside? (laughs) Are you with me? It's not like, well, Elijah walked with Elijah and then the chariot of fire carried him away. And he saw him go up into heaven in this chariot on fire. And he was gone. And he just said, okay, cool. Let's go back across the river. Let's do this thing. No, you can come back to your seat. You can sit by your wife. I know you don't want to sit over there. I mean, Tim's nice and all, but he's not Katie. So this took place, and Elisha grabs the mantle that just fell off of Elijah when he, uh, when he left. It could have been uh, his, uh, is it Talit? I just went totally blank. His prayer shawl. And... Uh, he, so it dropped, he grabs it, he walks up to the river, and he smites the river with, with his uh, thing. I just went totally blank what I called it a minute ago. His, his, his prayer shawl, his mantle. And he said, where's the God of Elijah in the waters parted? And he walked back across. And so after he walks back across, <clears throat> he is walking in this anointing that he had asked for. So we, that's what preface, what leads up to 2 Kings chapter 4. There's other things that happen, and I'm not going to go through all of that. You can read it 
But here in chapter 4 is where we come. So Elijah comes back into town, and he says, A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elijah, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord. And the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. So Elijah said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, Your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. Well, verse 3, then he said, go borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels, do not gather just a few. And when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons, then pour it out, pour it into all the vessels and set aside for the, uh, set aside the full ones. So she went from, <clears throat> from him and shut the door behind her and her sons who brought the vessels to her and she poured it out. Now it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said, there is not, there is not another vessel. So the oil ceased. Verse 7, then she came and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debt, and you and your sons live on the rest. So here's Elijah. He comes across. He's got this anointing on his life. And I, what I love about this is that he just operates in it. It's not like he goes, hold up, wait a minute, let me step aside and see what I need to do. I need to go get some wisdom from the Lord so I can tell you what to do. No, he knew that he saw Elijah leave. What, did Elijah, what was the prerequisite for him to walk in a double portion of what Elijah walked in? To see him when he left. Did he see him? Yes, so I think in his heart, it was solid, it was settled, it was fixed. You know why? Because he had spent time with Elijah. He had followed Elijah. He saw the miracles that God created through Elijah. So what I'm saying is this, when this woman came to him, he didn't have an identity crisis about what am I supposed to do with her? I don't know what to do. How am I supposed to do anything? I mean, I just got this thing. I just picked it up and the water split and I'm here. What do I do? That wasn't where he was. He understood. He had walked in relationship with Elijah, so he knew what was on his life. So he said, if that's on his life, I've got double. So if we see Jesus, and he said, greater works than these shall you do, because I go to my Father, how will we know that? Because I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. He's better than any mantle you can pick up off the ground. <clears throat> the reason I ask you, when's that time you felt closest to the Lord? Is because I believe he's calling us back to a first love. He's calling us back to a passion. where When we pursue that place like Elijah picking up that mantle and going, I'm going to go do what God told me to do. I'm going to do it. I've got to do it. But the reason he had confidence to do it is because he had been with Elijah and he knew the God of Elijah. The secret place. Oh, man, that's so good. So he says to this woman, verse 2, So Elijah said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? You know what's so beautiful? He didn't do anything for her except help her see what she already had. <laughs> he said, what do you have? And what was her response? I don't have anything but a little oil. 
His next response is, well, God can work with that. God can work with that. You know one of the biggest lies of the enemy is, well, if I had what they had, then I would do what they're doing. I'm going to set you free. God hadn't called you to do what they do specifically or be who they are. He's called you to be you and be the best you you can be as you submit yourself to him. So you're free this morning. Right now, I set you free from being Justin, who came up here and says, man, I feel God stirring me to do this. And so, man, I'm supposed to be like Justin. No, you're not. We've got a Justin, Newt. He's right there. Don't be him. Right? I can be who God called me to be. You can be who God called you to be. But it comes out of that place, that secret place of intimacy with him. Elisha was who he was because of who God created him to be, but the time that he had spent with Elijah to understand the God that Elijah served. The boldness that Elijah walked in. He would walk in even more boldness because he saw it modeled and he knew that God couldn't lie and that God said, here's what I'll do. He looked at her and he said, what do you have? And she said, I don't have anything but but a jar of oil. All she saw was her lack. What he saw was her provision. So today, that thing that you say, well, all I have is this, I want you to know, that thing that you have and this is all you have in his hands is your way out. (laughs) It's your breakthrough. It's your provision. It's not somebody coming up putting their hands on you. It's what's already in you. All you've got to do is recognize it, and then you've got to offer it back to him. I was singing, and Stephen said, I I love you, Stephen. We were talking, and that song came to mind, and I'm not going to sing it. He said, you can sing it, and they'll never forget it. If you say it, they'll forget when they leave. But if you sing it, uh uh-uh, it ain't happening. What's that you hold in your hand? If you're willing to lose it, uh, what's that you? He can, he can use it if you're willing to lose it. And I said, you know what? That's good, but it's not, bad. it's not good. Because I don't lose it. Get back. I don't lose it. If, I'm, if I have it in my hand and I'm willing to allow him to use it, I do not lose it. I may not have possession of it like I had before, but I'm offering it to him so that he can do what with it? He can multiply it because he's not a God of subtraction. He's a God of multiplication. <clears throat> He said, if you're willing to offer it to me, then I can use it and I can multiply it. It's just like he said, Jesus said, except a a grain of wheat fall in the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. So what I have in my hand, I don't lose. And as I was meditating on that, here's what God showed. It was so good. I'm getting ahead of myself. Settle down. He said, what do you have? She said, all I have is oil. And the Lord immediately spoke to me, and I'm, just, I'm not going to give you all the examples, but three that he highlighted. This woman, he said, what do you have in your hand? She said, all I have is oil. He said, okay, here's what I want you to do. God looked at Moses when he told Moses in Exodus chapter 4. He said, I want you to deliver my children from bondage. And Moses said, how am I going to do it? He said, what am I going to do? What's so beautiful about that, Moses gives this list of disqualifications, and God's qualification is, I'll be with you. 
His only qualification is, Moses, I'll be with you. It wasn't, but I've, I've created you to do this. And you know, all those 40 years you were in the desert, I taught you how to do this. And you led sheep and you thought that was all it was. No, I'm teaching you to lead people because they're going to be hard-headed and stubborn just like sheep. He didn't do all that. He said, I'll be with you. <laughs> how am I going to do it? I'll be with you. And Moses kept going, Lord, what am I going to do? He said, what do you have in your hand? A stick. I just got a stick. He said, throw it down turned into a snake. Most people would have left the ministry right then. <laughs> They'd have started rebuking the Lord and left the ministry right then. <laughs> he said, all right, grab it by the tail, and it turned back into a stick. Moses said, oh, God, you're awesome. That's all it is. He said, no. yeah, God, but he said, take your hand. He said, put it in your cloak. Put it in your shirt pull it out. It was white with leprosy. Skin was diseased and falling off. He said, now put it back in. Pull it out. What did he have? He took his stick. He took his hand. Then he said, yeah, I know. He said, all right, go to the river, get some water, pour it on the dry ground. And when he poured it on dry ground, it was blood. And Moses said, okay, I'll go, but you got to send somebody with me. <laughs> God constantly proved himself. The next one that was just so amazing to me, and I shared this, I don't remember what day it was, uh, one of the times in the past month that I spoke, <laughs> but in John chapter 6, when Jesus is there with his disciples, and he, he, uh, he, the multitudes had come, it was, the, it was right at Passover, the multitudes had come together, it's the feeding of the 5,000, uh, it's the context of what's going on. But Jesus is there, and he looks to Philip, and he said, what are we going to feed these guys with? And it's beautiful because it says in the scripture, he just said that to Philip to see where his heart was because he already knew what he was going to do. You with me? He said, I just did it for Philip to see where his heart was. I want to see what Philip's response was going to be. Here's 5,000 people. No, it was 5,000 men. Most scholars believe it would have been around 15,000 people because women and children. So he says, how are we going to feed these people? And, and uh, Philip was like, uh, snap. I don't know. Somebody spoke up. I don't know if it's Peter. I can't remember. Said, hey, I got a kid here with five loaves and two fish. But what's that among so many? What did Jesus say? Just bring it to me. Just bring it to me. Here's what's so beautiful. When you study that, you see that the miracle took place in the hands of the disciples. He told them, he said, sit down. And he had everyone sit down in, uh, was it 50s? I can't remember. He had all of them sit down in groups, and then he blessed the five loaves, two fishes, gave it to the disciples, and then they went out, and as they gave out, it was multiplied. Are you with me? Stay with me. Why is that important? Because it was multiplying in their hands. They didn't go and run out and go back to Jesus and say, I've got only two crumbs left. Bless it. That's not what went on. As they were giving out, there was abundance. There was always more. So what the Lord said this, if we will just take what's in our hand, there's always a miracle attached to it. Every time you see Jesus, you see the word of God, you see God ask, what's in your hand? When we offer it to him, there's always a miracle, and there's always a miracle of abundance, of multiplication, and provision. With this woman, he asked the woman, he said, what's in your hand? <clears throat> what do you have? She said, all I have is a little oil. 
And this is what's so beautiful. Oh, in both of those stories, in John, uh, not John chapter six, in Luke, I'm getting ahead of myself again. I thought I'd already read it to you. I haven't, but we'll get there. So let's stay with me. Where are you? I don't know, but stay with me. In, in, in 2 Kings chapter 4, he said, he, he said, what do you have? And she said, all I have is a little oil. Listen, this is what the Lord showed me as I was studying this. Then he, he presented something to her that she didn't know she had that was the greatest miracle of all. You know what it was? It was community. He said, go to your neighbor's and borrow some vessels. What was he saying? I didn't tell you to do this alone. Do you understand? She would have not had a miracle had she not had community. The greatest gift he gave her was community, was for her to see that she needed the people around her and that through her being willing to give what she had to him, it was going to require those around her, community. That's so good. You'll get that later, riding down the road, and you'll go, oh, Jesus put me in a church so I can be in a community. <laughs> Snap, that's what he was saying. It's community. And, it, and so she went to her neighbors and borrowed these vessels, and he said, don't borrow a few. So she borrowed all these, uh, all these vessels, and then this is the honey. He said, now take all the vessels you have, Go into your house and shut the door. Shut the door. Why? He said, because what I'm going to do, I'm going to do for you in the secret place. In the secret place, not out in the open, in the secret place, I'm going to do for you what no man can do. But you've got to go in and shut your door. What is Matthew 6? But you, when you pray... Don't be like the hypocrites. When you pray, you go in your room and shut the door. And when you shut the door, you pray to your father who's in secret. And your father who sees and hears in secret will reward you openly. This woman went to her neighbors and borrowed a bunch of empty vessels. That's all she asked for. Can I have some empty vessels? Can I have some empty pots? Anything you got that'll hold liquid, can I borrow it? And she borrowed it when she had extended all her resources. You know what else the Lord showed me through that? If she'd had a bigger community, she'd had a bigger miracle. Who are we willing to do life with? Huh. Well, so she, he said, but the miracle's going to happen in the secret place. Right? He said, go in. Let's look. He said this, verse 3. Then he said, go borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels. Do not borrow just a few. Verse 4. And when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons. Then pour it into all the vo- those vessels and set the full ones aside. So she went in, verse 5, and uh, she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons who brought the vessels to her, and she poured it out. She went in the secret place, and she poured out what she had. Are you with me? She went in the secret place. She poured out, poured out what she had. And when she did, a miracle took place. See, it was in the secret place that she found deliverance. And it was in the secret place that she found abundance. God didn't just give her enough to pay her debt, right? You read the story. He said, you go, borrow all the vessels, and when you fill them up, she went back to the man when she filled him out. He said, what do I do? He said, now sell 
the vessels, and then you'll have enough left over to live on. He didn't just bring her out of her spot. He put her into a place of abundance where she had it to live off of, not just make a little oil and a little cake like Elijah. When he went to the woman, he said, he, said, he went to the widow, and she said, uh, she, he said, what do you have? She said, I just got a little meal and a little oil. I'm going to make it. Me and my son are going to eat it, and we're going to die. And Elijah said, no, take it and do what you said you were going to do, but bring it to me first. That was Elijah. This is Elisha. And she did, and she was sustained through the famine. Here, this woman, she went in the secret place, and she poured out. And as she poured out, God multiplied. He continued to multiply. Where? In the secret place. So why are you saying that? Because I know in this room there are people who have been trying, trying, trying. I've been doing everything. I've been, I've been, and hear me out. I've been fasting. I've been praying. I've been doing everything I know to do, and that's just it. You're trying to do it. He's not asking you to do that. Jesus did, so we don't, we don't have to do. We don't live from our doing. We live from our being. But as we be with him in intimacy, we get our living. That's where our, our provision comes from. That's where our multiplication. And I believe that there are people in the room who say, I've, I've done everything I know to do. I've given. I've, I've fasted. I've sown. I've done all these things. And your attention is on what you're giving out, not what's being put in. And he told her, he said, the hardest thing she had to do was just continue to pour the oil in the jars. It wasn't make the oil. It was just distribute the oil. And he asked her, he said, go in the secret place, shut the door, and when you pour it out, there'll be a place of deliverance. It'll be a place of, of provision and of abundance. So I'm telling you this. For those who've been believing and feel like you're running your head against the wall, Jesus is saying, your breakthrough is not in your doing, but in your being. Your breakthrough is in the secret place. What's the secret place? And here's what he's teaching me. Should it be a specific place where we go and get with him? Yes. Does it have to be that? No. Here's what I know. As you spend time with him in that place, when you set time apart and say, I'm going to spend this time with the Lord. I'm not trying to get an answer for anything. I just want to know him. Did not our hearts burn within us when he expounded the scriptures and told us who he was? When we get to that place of a burning heart for him, to know him, not to get our breakthrough, but to know him. When we shut the door and we know him, what I've seen in my life is this, is I spend time in that secret place, everywhere I go becomes a secret place. I can be riding in my car and it's a secret place that I just want to know him. I want to spend time with him. Is teaching good? Absolutely. I listen to teaching all the time, but it doesn't take the place of the secret place, of him teaching you, of him talking to you. I just don't understand the scriptures like you do. You know what? This woman could have given all the excuses. Well, oil doesn't work like that, buddy. <laughs> you pour it out, it runs out. And she could have argued with him, and guess what? She would have been sunless. But she said, you know what? I don't understand everything you're saying, but I know who you are. <laughs> and he was just a man with an anointing. He wasn't the son of God who put his anointing in us. And she said, I'll do what you tell me to do. And because of her obedience to go in the secret place and pour out what she had, 
she had a miracle take place. And I believe the Lord is saying the same thing to us today, that he wants to work miracles in us so that he can work miracles through us. And that happens in the secret place. And as we spend that time with him, what happens in As we spend that time, we get moved with the compassion of the Lord like Jesus did. Throughout Scripture, Luke chapter 5, you can just make reference to it. Luke 5, 12 through 17. This is what I made reference to earlier and said, oh, I haven't read that yet. So just so I don't leave you hanging, I'll share this and then I'll close. Luke chapter 5, verse 17 is when the leper was cleansed. It's also in Mark, Matthew chapter 8 and in Mark chapter 1. Verse 12 says, and when it happened... He, uh, and it happened when he was in a certain city that, behold, a man who was full of leprosy saw Jesus, and he fell on his face and imploring him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then he put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately the leprosy left him, and he charged him to tell no one, but go to show, himself, show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as the testimony to them, just as Moses commanded. So here's what's so beautiful in this passage of Scripture. Um, as you continue reading, it says Jesus went apart to pray, but I, want us to, I don't want to miss this right here. Jesus, look what Jesus did. This man came to him, and he said, if you're willing, heal me. What did Jesus say? I'm willing. So, it, so the, will, the, the, desire, the will of God to be understood about healing is, is clear right here. God, if you're willing, heal me. He said, I'm willing. So he touched him, and he was healed. He did what? Why is that important? What had this man been without for years? Touch. He couldn't be touched because what he had was contagious, but Jesus touched the man who hadn't been touched in years. You know what he did? He brought healing, not just to his physical body, but to his soul. That's what it is to be embraced again. Then you know what he did? He healed him in community. Oh, you're hung up on community. No, I'm just telling you, Jesus didn't create us to live independent. If you think you're supposed to be a lone ranger for God, you've believed a lie from the devil. That's a fact. Jesus came, and he spent his three and a half years of his life with 12 men, not because he was lonely and, didn't, and wanted to hang out with 12 guys, because he was showing them how to live together in community with all their differences, their quirks, and how to live and love inside of that community. What do you mean he sent him back in the community? He said this. He said, go to the priest. Why was it important to go to the priest? Jesus had healed him. Had he been healed? Yes. But in that community, he was known as what? A leper. And when people saw him coming, what did they have to do? Unclean. He had to cry out, unclean, unclean. And when people saw him coming, there, yeah, there's old Joe the leper. Stay away from Joe. He's the leper. Don't get anywhere near Joe. He said, you go show yourself to the priest. Because why? Because when he went and he gave an offering to the Lord, and he showed himself to the priest. Then the priest had to go to the community and declare he's clean. <laughs> so he changed his identity. He said, you go to the priest so I can, re-inst- I can re- uh, install you into the community so you don't have to do life alone anymore. That's beautiful. That's the heart of the Father. And, and today, he's wanting to do that. He's wanting to restore people back in the community. And you go, man, I feel like a leper. I was made to feel like a leper. Or I felt like I'm alone. I, I'm sorry, but let it go. I cannot help what someone did to you. Chances are you can't help the way it happened. Maybe you deserved it. That's okay. Let it go. 
But here's what I'm saying. We've got to be willing to go to our high priest and say, I know because of what you did, I'm clean. And I'm willing to go back out into community. There may be part of me that looks raw and felt raw, but I'm willing to go back into community because I can't live alone anymore. 15. However, the report went around concerning him all the more, and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. Look at verse 16. So Jesus heals this leper. He says, it's the will of God. He sends him to the, the priest to be declared clean so that he can go back into community. And then he says, as they did that, it got published abroad, and more people wanted to come and see Jesus. And you know what he did? He did the most important thing. He went to the secret place. Because it says this in verse 16, so he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. He himself withdrew into the wilderness to pray. What, is, what are you saying? Jesus gave out of who he was, but he knew the way he could continue to give out is to stay full by being yeah. with the one yeah. who had filled him. See, as we spend time with him, we get full. Not just full for me, full that we overflow so that everyone we're around, it runs out. Because here's what I'm telling you. As we spend time in the secret place, we don't have to minister. We get to. As we spend time in the secret place, what happens is we get to be so much like him. When we show up in a room, the atmosphere starts changing and people start wondering what's different, what happened. And you don't have to go looking for people all the time. Sometimes they come looking for you. They'll go, what is going on? It's just different here. You used to be this way. I used to see you like this, and now I see you different. What happened? I, I met a man. Just, just steal this from Stephen. I met a man with a beard that changed my life. <laughs> so I want to encourage you. The answer is in the secret place. The deliverance. It's in the secret place. Now, does God move through people Does he lay, that, that we lay hands on them and they get healed? Absolutely. But you know how you walk in that place of health instead of healing? The secret place. Why? Just like Elisha walked with Elijah and knew who he was and knew the God that he served, as we walk with him, as we talk with him, and he tells us that we're his own like that old song, as we understand whose we are and who we are, then when we walk out, he said, if, we, if our mind doesn't uh, condemn us, then we have confidence before God. If our heart doesn't condemn us, then we have confidence before God. So what does that mean? That's where Hebrews says, come boldly before the throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. As we spend time with him, the boldness of the Lord rises up on the inside of us. And then when we go out, we'll do more accidentally than we ever did on purpose. Because we'll stop doing witnessing and we'll be a witness. Everywhere we go, we'll be a witness instead of do witnessing. That's his passion and his desire for us. And that's my heart for this new year, for us to get a greater understanding of not just, it's not that we're going to spend 12 months talking about the secret place, but everything we do has to come from that place. Because if not, all we've become is religious. He said this in 1 Corinthians 8, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Let's stand. Knowledge puffs up, love builds up. It actually says love edifies, but it literally means love builds up. So what do you mean? So if I spend my time with love, 
If I spend my time with love, then love is who, who permeates from me. If I spend my time just trying to learn about love, I can still not love. But if I fill, fill my time getting full of love, then what I'm going to give is love. In the service, in, the, in worship, Josh had a vision. Josh Jones had a vision. And he said, I saw four angels in the church. And he said, there were two at the front. And he proceeded with 1 Corinthians chapter 13, talking about love is patient, is kind, takes no account of a wrong suffered. In the last verse, it says there, love never fails. And he said, as we were worshiping and people came up and surrendered themselves, just saying, God, I want, I want you. He said, he saw the angels. They had big swords and they had them. And he said, when people came in, in reckless abandon and worship, they handed the sword to them. And he said, the sword was the word of God. And that's the scripture. It said, the living word, the sword of the Lord is the living word of God, that he handed it to him. Right? Is that right? And then he also said that the other two angels, what they were doing is they were protecting the secret place, the, the place where you were making that surrender to him and that exchange was taking place. So what are you saying? God's got you. And if we'll trust him with what we have, it's, that's so beautiful. She had to pour out, but she didn't lose it. And the more she poured out, the more she got. Come on, somebody. That'll preach right there. The more you pour out in your life to him, not in ministry to the church or somewhere else, but in your life to him, the more you pour out, the more he can multiply. And then that goes into every area of our lives. It does go over into ministry. It does go over into our giving that we give. We realize that I give not to get. I give because I can't outgive him. He's so good. You remember the two questions we asked in the beginning? When is the time, the season that you felt closest to the Lord? You know, as uh, Steve and I were talking about that, I looked at him and I said, I can honestly say right now. I don't say that arrogantly. I say right now is the closest I've ever been to the Lord. I've, I've been to Bible college. I've learned a lot. I've done a lot. made a lot of mistakes. <laughs> But right now, I feel I'm the closest to him. But I looked at Stephen and I said, but here's what's stirring in my heart. I don't want to look back January 2018 and go, man, I started good. And I said, I'm, I'm in that secret place and I'm taking all the stops off and I'm going after it. Because how many times does that happen? I said, it's not gonna, I'm not going to wait another year to see what God's going to do with me because I'm going to stay with him in this secret place and see what he does through me. And that's my challenge to each of us. When was the time? And what were you doing to, to cultivate it? And then the second thing is, what are you passionate about? Because I believe he places those passions in our heart and says, I just want to partner with you. So it's not something you have to do, it's something you get to do. Jesus, we love you. We thank you so much that you are love.